I'm Alex Melleris. And I'm Tai Fu. And the playoffs are going on right now. We uh, have five minutes left in Minnesota-St. Louis Game 4 right now. Toronto-Tampa Bay is about to start get their Game 4 just to contextualize us in, in space and time. And as anyone could probably expect, we're going to go over this past week or so. Every series has had three or, in rare cases, four games played. And I think, why, why don't we start with one that's going to warm up our egos a little bit, the Colorado-Nashville series, uh, in terms of our predictions from last week. So Colorado is up 3-0 on Nashville. I had sweep. Did you have sweep? I think we both had sweep. I think I had five. Or maybe I had, I had sweep, but I'm pretty sure I had five, just because I don't pick sweeps. Um, oh, all right. Something yes, that I course, deeply regret now, now that, given the state of the series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know, if it is a sweep, and I sniped a sweep, then I'm going to feel pretty good about myself in that one. Even though, got to be honest, if I knew Connor Ingram was going to come into game two and they were going to give up on David Riddick so fast, I might have thought a little harder about it because I do have more faith in Connor Ingram than in David Riddick. And he's shown me why so far, especially with that excellent game two where Nashville just came up short. Right, yeah, good for, uh, who's their coach again? The John Hines, right, for, yeah. for bailing ship on a shitty goalie um, because David Riddick, he's uh, he's washed now, even as a backup. So, you know, Connor, he had a great game, right, Connor Ingram? He made, what, like 50 saves and went to overtime, even though the, the ice, as it has been all series, is completely slanted in favor of the Avalanche. Uh, but even then, you know, that, that there was a game that they were going to win the series for the Predators. Uh, it was one where, you know, the goalie steals a show, and... With the caliber of goalies that they've got right now, that's just not likely. And so you're lucky if you get one. They got the one, and they still couldn't pull it out. Uh, and that's basically all you need to know about the series. Because, yeah, no, it's just it's the, the talent disparity is just so obvious. Um, in particular, you have two players, you know, McKinnon and McCarr, who are generating just absurd amounts of offense. And, you know, the press just can't match it. They can't match, you know, both the top-end talent, but also the forward depth that Colorado has uh, and, and really... Not not just the four, the defensive depth too. Uh, I saw you know Darcy Kemper left the game uh, for game three because of uh, you got to stick to the eye. But even then, uh, it just it's not it's not this is not a goaltending team. Obviously, when it comes to Colorado, uh, the whole team is stacked, and so like you know they're starting goalie leaves and they still win the game like seven fucking three. Uh, like it's no big deal. So yeah, it's just it's it's you know it's what we knew heading into it but is it like unlike the perhaps the stars flame series that we might get into into a minute um this one it, it like it's as it's as slanted as we thought it would be heading into it yeah perhaps even more so at least in game 1 but i think the bigger story in game 2 and game 3 is uh well i guess not not even game 2 really because of how great connor ingram was but do you get the sense that like you see saros looking at how the series has played out so far would have been as big as an X factor as we, you know, making him out to be. I guess, you know, game one, obviously David Riddick was terrible, but the ice was incredibly slanted in Colorado's favor. As you said, I don't know if, well, Saros definitely would have been the difference between a win and a loss in such a lopsided matchup. Uh, Game two, he he couldn't have been much better than Ingram was. And game three, I guess, is the one you look at and go, yeah, maybe they could have gotten an extra save here or there. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it really is hard to tell, like, you know, like, really comparing how these series goes with the goalies because you know it's you you change your style of play depending on who's behind you if it's UC Saros or fucking David Riddick right uh you just can't be as you can't play with like you know the, the kind of house money you know balls on the table like you know who gives a shit kind of 
balls to the wall kind of play for Nashville because you've got a shitty goalie behind you the whole time uh, and you can't really count on him to bail you out. So, you know, I think we look at, you know, uh, a goalie who, you know, you would say is like three steps behind in terms of caliber goaltending, like Jake Ottinger, for example, in the Dallas series. He's been fantastic. And, you know, now they've made a series out of it and they have the series lead right now, right? And so, you know, I just think it's such a big step down between, you know, like even a great Connor Ingram um, and uh, UC Saros on a regular basis that it's it's hard to say. I think, you know, maybe maybe they win one of the games. And, and you know, if they win game two, for example, if you're, if you're Nashville, uh, you know, we, we, we mentioned heading into it, you know, like uh, with Colorado, we don't know what the, the mental t- fortitude kind of th- side of things is. So, uh, you know, they're, they're, I'm sure they're really happy they won game two because, you know, <laughs> you slant the ice for a full game and then you manage to lose in overtime. Uh, we've seen teams kind of, you know, struggle to recover from that. Yeah, but if you're Nashville, you know, if you're such a big underdog, that that's the type of game that you absolutely have to win. You know, a game that gets into overtime, you can't be blowing that when you're the eight seed. And they did. So I think that pretty much, you know, sank any hope they had at that point. Right. But yeah. um, yeah. I wanted to mention, uh, for mention John Hines, you know, bailing on David Riddick after game one. Also, another movie did that I appreciated. He put Cody Glass in for Game Three, and Cody Glass has been, you know, in the minors basically all year, and he was um, basically half the return they got for Ryan Ellis, more or less. Um, so, I I've been on on Team Cody Glass for a while, and that you know, if they just you know put him in the lineup, gave him a role, and let him figure it out, he'd he'd maybe not achieve the potential we thought he had when he went sixth overall. But he'd become an effective player. So I appreciate, you know, they put in a higher ceiling player in favor of, like, Michael McCarron on that fourth line. Did, didn't work out, but I was like, good move anyway. Yeah, why not? Um, you're really, you're playing with house money at this point with your Nashville. A, because, you know, you didn't expect to be here. B, uh, you're not going to win the series because <laughs> you lost your starting goalie. Um, so <laughs> if it means, you know, putting in that experience uh, for a young guy like Cody Glass, uh, or even just like, you know, as you said, put the higher ceiling guy in, see if he can do something instead of a guy like Michael McCarron, who, you know, you know, might have a higher floor, but won't do anything to help you uh, win the game. You know, it's a respectable move. And so maybe my, my opinion of John Hines, as low as it has been uh, in recent times, takes up one step for his two moves that he made up here. Um, but even then, they're still getting shit kicked. Yeah. Last thing on this series, I think. Um, do you know what David Riddick's uh, save percentage and goals against average are in this series? No, I don't. You wanna you wanna enlighten me or would you like to a, guess? Should I take a whack at it? Uh, take a whack. Hmm. Did he play the full game in game one? I can't remember. No way. Eh? He got pulled. Is that right? Uh, yeah, it looks like he did get pulled okay. our way through. All right. Save percentage. I'm gonna say seven fifty. Wrong. Uh, save percentage is six fifteen. Uh, <laughs> you know what? That's the thing. It's once you get to the, you know, like it's impressive. You get to like impressive level, like you know, like six fifteen. Like that's 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 like such a low save percentage. It's impressive. You know what I mean? Like there are, <laughs> there are certain save percentages where it's like okay, like if you're if your save percentage is like a nine ninety, that just means you know you saved so many fucking shots. You let in the goal, whatever. But it just seems even more impressive than a shout perhaps. Uh, you know, like a 615, it's just like it's impressively low. You let in a baffling amount of goals. So I respect that for David Riddich. Uh, and uh, and yeah, so and it's goals against average, I'm going to guess it's what? 5.5. 9.99. Wow. That's a, that's a, 
Nice no, try, though. Work of art. Work of art. So uh, it seems like I underestimated just how bad he was. Uh, and yeah, all right. Good shit. Uh, just an update for the listeners. It's now 5-2 for the Blues. So uh, it is... It's one minute to is, go. That game is thoroughly over after a couple of late Blues goals. Anyways. Indeed. Yeah. And that's a series we can talk about now, actually, in the same division. What a nice thing. segue. There you go. It's about to be tied 2-2. Uh, your Stanley Cup champion, uh, and also my Stanley Cup finalist, Minnesota, against the Blues. And one one thing that had me kind of I here we'll start with this. Is I was listening to uh, the PDO cast right I think the day the playoffs were starting, and it was mentioned that Mark Andre Fleury's goaltending style uh, may not be very well suited against the Blues. Um, because the Blues actually, you know, they have a pretty low volume of shots that they take, but the shots that they do take tend to be very high quality shots. So they're a very quality over quantity team in terms of shot selection. And for Fleury, who is a very aggressive goaltender, it might not bode so well for him against a team that is more inclined to look for the extra pass to get an even better opportunity than they would have. And he may be caught out of position sometimes. And I was like, that's a very interesting analysis. Not sure how much weight it will hold. And they lost game one for nothing. And I was thinking, oh no, maybe they should have started Cam Talbot. But Fleury has played uh, all four games so far. And it looks like it's been a pretty mixed bag, which the 2-2 series tie kind of indicates. Yeah, right. And not just the 2-2 series tie, but just look at the scores of each of these games. It's really like a roller coaster, right? You get you got 4 nothing in the first game, then you got the Wild coming up. Uh, their four just lighted up 6-2. They went 5-1. Uh, and so, you know, you have Flurry shutting the door for most of the game there. Uh, and then they come back and lose 5-2. Now, granted, two of those were late goals, so it was really kind of 3-2 until kind of things fell apart at the end. But even then, uh, it really is, you know, he did give up that fourth goal. Uh, on the power play and so it has been really an up and down and so it's hard it's really tough for me to kind of take away uh, anything from this series other than it's just like it just seems like <laughs> one team man- it was close to this game but for the other three games it really just seems like you know one team you know manages to find its groove I thought Minnesota would come back and take this one um, because they've just been- looked so dominant the last two games uh, you know with Kaprizov and Eric Sinek really kind of turning it on uh, and finding their scoring but you know, what do you know? It just, <laughs> they lost 5-2 today. Uh, so, honestly, I, I have a hard time getting a grip on what's going to happen in these next, you know, two or three games. Uh, because, yeah, it just seems like the needle moves pretty far. Like, it's the Blues dominated for the first half of the game today. It wasn't even close. Like, the shots were, like, you know, like, 25 to, like, 25 to 9 or something like that at one point in the game. And you're standing there like, okay, this is nothing like game two and three. Uh, and it's not like it's like, you know, it, it, they've split each of the home series, like, the, the home pairs. So... You know, it, I don't even know what to expect at this point. Tampa Bay just scored exactly one minute into the game. So there's a fun little update. That's but cool. anyway, thank you. On Minnesota St. Louis, um, Billy Huso actually on his on the St. Louis side of things didn't even play today because after getting a shutout in game one, he was an 815 in game two. They lost and an 875 in game three and they lost. And Greg Ruby said, not good enough. Jordan Bennington comes in today. And he only gave up two goals. So I assume he's going to be starting the next game too. So kind of some, uh, well, I, I guess I've, I, I didn't watch today, today's afternoon game closely enough to know if Marc-Andre Fleury like, gave up any stinkers or anything. And I'm pretty sure he's still going to be 
the guy moving forward. But St. Louis now is kind of, you know, going back to ye old Bennington who won the Stanley Cup three years ago. And I did have a pretty decent amount of faith in Billy Huso, but it makes sense, you know, for goalie with no playoff experience. He's he's shaky two games in a row. Get the other guy back in there. And uh, they're not on extremely solid ground on that in that, uh, in that way. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, if you'd expect one team in the series to kind of go back and forth between goalies, it would be the Wild, right? Because they have such a strong tandem between Talbot and, and Fleury. Uh, but it seems like the Blues have gone back to Bennington and, you know, he won the game. So you got, and he seemed fine. And so you got to wonder if they'll move, you know, stick with him moving forward. And I got to say, if they do, I have much more confidence in the Wild. Um, because, okay, yeah, you know, Bennington's got the got the, the Stanley Cup pedigree and whatnot, but he stinks. He stunk this year. It was fucking awful. And so do I trust this guy to keep it up even over, you know, the next two games? No, I don't. I don't, uh, given how the wild have looked, uh, you know, just all season, but also in games two and three. So, you know, maybe he's running on that. Okay, it's been a while. I've been, he's got that chip on his shoulder, kind of adrenaline going for the first game. But I, and, and you know, the Blues just flat out played better than the wild uh to start the game so you know he had that going for him but you know if the blues uh, the wild come back next game and really kind of test the guy i don't trust him at all and the fact that it seems like you know bennington kind of earned some trust today is encouraging for the wild uh because man i (laughs) (laughs) i I do not like jordan bennington at all um as a goalie i think he stinks he's been terrible this year so you know he's starting the playoffs now um so that's, I think that's very concerning if I'm a Blues fan. Obviously, I can eat a bunch of crow if they go on and win this thing in six, but uh, that's just my feeling right now. I have to say, Billy Huso having been bad for two games in a row, it would have been more encouraging for the Wild if Bennington was also bad and the Blues True. just had two bad goalies. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that is one way to look at it. Um, but I do think either way, because you know my faith in in both Blues goalies is minimal for the reasons you just outlined. And my faith in Flurry is, you know, not unequivocal either. I probably would have gone with Talbot to start the series, even though Flurry's been pretty good for the most part. Not you know, they're both they're both good goalies. But either way, what I what I'm trying to say is whoever wins this series, I don't think it's going to come down to goaltending. And I don't think goaltending is gonna be the X factor unless you know, Bennington and Huso are both terrible, then it may end up being the X factor. But I really think, you said today, you know, the Blues were dominant. And if the Blues are going to uh, beat the Wild, it's going to have to be, you know, their forward depth and, you know, their their defensemen too, the ones they have that are good at least, that are going to have to just play better than the Wilds. And they should not leave it up to Bennington or Huso or whoever's in net because that'll be the recipe for failure for them. Right, absolutely. I think it works for both teams. I think honestly, both. I don't think any of the four goalies in the series are about to go, like you know, pull a rabbit out of their hat and get a great goalie game uh, to kind of win the series for their team. I really feel like it's up to the skaters on both teams. Uh, can you know that Kaprizov line, uh, to, that first line for the Wild, uh, continue to take over games? Uh, can their depth continue to persevere? And it really goes the same for the Blues. So it's interesting in terms of you know they're pretty evenly matched. Or it's it's like a, it's a mirror matchup in terms of they need their forwards to win, uh, because uh, well, first of all, the Blues don't have much of a defenseman. Uh, we've talked about this in depth already. Uh, so it's really up for the Blues forwards and and for the for the Wild. I look at you know just how good you know Joel Eriksson has been at producing the offensive zone. Uh, yeah, he just needs to keep that up, and so do the rest of the Wild's forwards. Because yeah, in each of these games, it's been slanted in terms of. The, the the skater's ability, right? It hasn't really been up to the goalie. Uh, no goalie's really stolen the game. Um, and, you know, the better team won. 
in every single one of the four games so far. So that just, you know, that goes to show what's probably going to determine the rest of the series. Yeah, let's uh, let's head over to the Pacific where we have the most exciting series so far, Calgary and Dallas. <laughs> Could not joke? keep my eyes off of that. <laughs> All <joke>? right. <laughs> yes, it is a joke. It is a joke. But you know what? It's exciting for me because Dallas has a series lead and I said Dallas would win. And you know what? I feel vindicated. They're up two to one. I feel I'm satisfied. You know, I, yeah. in this moment, I feel so correct. What do you have to say for yourself? I got to say, you know, your take was pretty spot on in terms of, you know, it they was. give, it they was. give chokey vibes. And then you, you pointed to Johnny Gaudreau and the rest of that flames core who have done jack shit, basically all series against a significantly worse opponent. Uh, and yeah, I don't know what, like they've been fine at generating chances. Uh, it's just they haven't been able to finish for some reason. I mean, obviously, the, the, the big moment you think of is like, you know, what was it, like three minutes left in the game uh, for game three, and like Johnny Gaudreau's on a breakaway, and you usually, you know, he's got a, how many how many points this year? He's got a whole bunch of them. And he's he got 115 points this year. Right, and he's all alone with the game on his stick, and he fucking just shoots it at, his, at Oranger's pad. It, was, it wasn't a very good, you know, shot on a breakaway. So I don't know what it is, you know. is it, Are they choking again? Uh, I can't, I, it's hard to say, but it's not looking good. They have not been able to generate offensively. I think part of that is, you know, Dallas has been relatively good in, you know, playing their system, kind of shutting it down, uh, as Dallas does, uh, because that's the only way they can really win. Uh, so, but it's been working and, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm kind of eating shit. Obviously the series is only three games in. Do, do I trust the Dallas stars to keep, you know, playing well over an extended stretch of time? No, but Man, it's scary if you're a Flames fan because they just might be choking this whole thing again. Two nothing Tampa, by the way. Uh, the yeah. Leafs only have one shot on goal Let's about go. five minutes in. Let's go. Anyway, I think yeah, as you say, uh, you know, Calgary has been less than impressive, but I think credit should be given to Dallas too, as I think you were sort of maybe starting to do. For starters, Jake Ottinger has been excellent in this series. Great goalie, I really think so. And Dallas, they're playing like they did in their run to the finals two years ago which is when you're playing a team that's better than you, choke the life out of them, slow the game down to your pace, and make it boring. And, you know, that's not necessarily exciting because it's boring, which is the word I just used. As kind of, you know, we were complaining about how the Islanders made to the conference final that way. Uh, now Dallas might do it this year, just like they did two years ago. Um, but they're very good at it, and they're doing it right now to the team that finished second in the Western Conference. Um, and it's the same coach, Rick Bonus. A lot of the same players are there. Uh, a lot of the same defense core. You know, Haskinen, Klingberg, Essa Lindell, who were on the cup run. And, I mean, it's working. It's worked through three games so far. If Honestly, if, if any coach is capable of cracking the code, uh, it may be Daryl Sutter. But three games in, and he hasn't really. They've scored one goal, and then zero goals, and then two goals. Right. And yeah, so three goals in three games tells a story. Uh, yeah, no, it's unbearable to watch. Oh my God. This is <laughs> holy shit. And it's because of Dallas. See? Yeah. Dallas is the one that's controlling. Yeah. Calgary's been super exciting all year. They run to the stars. All of a sudden, there's no energy in the game at all, which is exactly how Dallas wants it. Absolutely. Because that's the only way they win. If it's a high energy game, the Flames wipe the floor with their talent and their depth. Uh, and, you know, the stars just don't have, they only have one line to kind of keep up. Uh, so, you know, you play low event hockey, you be opportunistic against a better team on paper. And that's honestly, that's how the Habs played the last year, right? 
um, yep. for, for extended periods of you know time. And yeah, this, <laughs> the Stars weren't a very good team two years ago either, uh, you know, on paper. So here they are. They're doing it again. And the Flames are doing it again. Potentially. We'll see. Uh, but yeah, they've already won two games. That's that's more than most people gave them credit for before the series started. So mission accomplished in that sense. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see if they make any adjustments. But really the key to this is the Flames' first line that really kind of drove them to all the success that they did. Uh, they've been so quiet, uh, you know, in terms of finishing. But just really, they haven't been generating the amount of chances that they usually do. And yeah, they just got to figure it out. You know, Johnny Gaudreau and Matthew Kachuk uh, and Elias Lindholm too. They've just... You know, they've got to bring it to the next level to overcome this uh, boring ass shit that the stars are pulling that is working, which stinks. Yeah. Um, next up in the Pacific, last one in the West, the Oilers and the Kings. I'm kind of regretting my decision <laughs> a little bit of picking the they LA Kings. They suck. They stink. Yeah. I mean, they're really bad. <laughs> they're just uh, awful. I got to say, after game one, after game one, I was I was very I was very pleased with myself because Philip Dano, you know, he was he was doing the Philip Dano thing, all right. McDavid, uh, was like was pretty quiet in game one. I, well, he scored one goal, which by his standards is a pretty quiet game. Um, and I was like, you know, Philip Dano might be the MVP again, just like he was for Montreal last year, more or less. Uh, it hasn't played out that way from that point onward. Um, part of it has been King's goaltending. Which perhaps I should have thought a little bit harder about, and that Maybe. is not very good. Um, and also, their defense is missing most notably Drew Doughty and also Sean Walker, which doesn't help. So their top pairing is Alex Edler and Matt Roy. Um, doesn't exactly inspire much confidence. Um, I think Victor Arvidsson is also injured these days. So yeah, their roster is much much worse than the Oilers, and it showed especially last game. I'm not out on the Kings yet. Um, I haven't given up because I, I still think the Oilers have a, a choking quality to them. And, you know, they're only up by one game. Um, but, yeah, I'm not I'm not very confident in this one. And the Lightning just scored again, and it's 3 nothing, and the Leafs still have only one shot on goal, and it's eight <laughs> minutes into the period. Oh, you love to see it. You love to see it. That's going to be such a fun series uh, to watch the ending of. But, um, but yeah, Patrick no. Maroon just got the goal. Wow. Gritty. Uh, so yeah, no, it's just, it's the Kings, the roster stinks. And that's what we knew heading into it. Uh, they just don't have the talent on paper. They don't have talent on paper, period, I would argue. Uh, and yeah, the team is really just two fours at this point. It's like Anzi Kopitar and Philip Dano doing their darndest to shut down Dreisaitl and McDavid. Hell, they even scored the two goals, uh, what was the last night or two nights ago, uh, to, to make it eight, two, instead of eight nothing so they're doing everything because there's nothing else on this roster there's just nothing else on this roster uh and yeah you know the oilers might choke but it looks like you know their other bottom six four uh, top six fours have kind of come to play you know dudes like evander kane unfortunately um but you know nugent hopkins has looked good too bully Harvey has chipped in and so yeah it's not just all dry saddle and mcdavid even though they've been fantastic and driving the play on their respective lines uh but yeah the kings just have no answer for it there's just <laughs> there's no scoring talent. There's jack shit. They got lucky that Mike Smith completely bungled it on that first game. Uh, just a hilarious Mike Smith moment to kind of cost him that game. Uh, but since he's been fine and he hasn't needed to be absolutely fantastic because the Oilers forwards are just steamrolling the Kings. And yeah, you mentioned the goaltending uh, on the King side. Yeah, who could have seen this? Fucking geriatric Jonathan Quick can't stand <laughs> on his head. Uh, that's that's crazy. That's crazy. Uh, who could have seen this one coming? 
Um, I could have. Man. Yeah, no. The Kings stink. I just... A lot of people are like, oh, the Oilers are going to choke to the Kings uh, heading into it. I don't think you're the only one. I heard it from other people, too. And I look at the roster, and it's like, you know, yeah, I get the Oilers narrative. Yes, there are only two forwards and a shittily constructed roster, and they have a history of choking, but the Kings have no talent on their roster. That's the problem. Uh, and that's kind of coming to fruit right now. Yeah, I probably should have about that. Should have thought about that one a little harder. That's my bad. <laughs> remember last year? Remember last year? I, I had the Oilers going to the conference finals. I said they beat the Jets, and I said they'd beat the Leafs in round two, <laughs> and I had them losing in the conference finals. I was like, you just, you just wait. McDavid's gonna, you know, carry them. Gonna drag them in. Get to find a new gear, and they let me down in a big way. So I didn't want to go to the well twice. Yeah, that's fair. I, I get, I get it. You don't want to be burned twice. Um. But yeah, I don't like the matchup, honestly. I don't care who wins in that other series, the Flames or the Stars. I don't get good vibes from the Oilers against either of them. I don't, I don't care how much they're rolling against the goddamn Kings. Um, but, you know, I think the Flames can match their firepower. And I think the Stars can do what they're doing to the Flames right now and kind of bog them down. Uh, and I think they're better built for that kind of style of game. So, you know, uh, uh, that's why I picked them to lose in the second round. I don't trust the Oilers either, but the Kings are just nothing. There's nothing there. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know. I feel like if the Oilers, I guess maybe it's a little premature for second-round predictions, but if it does end up Edmonton and Dallas, and Edmonton has proved that they, you know, have somewhat dispelled the choking narrative by uh, taking care of the Kings, especially if they do it pretty quickly, uh, then I'd probably have confidence that they can do the same to the Stars because, you know, it's not like they have such an all-star team. And the Kings are probably just trying to do uh, what the Stars try to do, which is slow the game down to their pace. And maybe Dallas is better at it than they are, but if Edmonton can, you know, overcome the Kings, kind of trying to choke the, like, the life out of them, especially, you know, they have two of the best players in the world, they can probably do it to Dallas too. Maybe. We'll see. I mean, that's the thing, though, that the Flames are such a good first line, so it's like, it's not like the Stars don't have experience uh, shutting down elite forwards. Obviously, McDavid and Dressel are another level, but, you know, I trust them more than the Kings. I'll tell you that. That roster, because, uh, man, I just, I just don't, I don't, I don't buy the Kings at all. They're just, you know, they're like, you know, they're years, they're years, they're years behind, uh, you know, a contention window. They've got, they've got a great prospect system, but still, it's not here right now. You know, going back to Calgary Dallas for a second. Yeah. Thinking about, you know, we've talked about how Dallas has like the one good offensive line, bad forward depth. Meanwhile, Calgary has that great first line everyone talks about too, and also much better forward depth. I think it may be time, down 2-1 in the series, uh, for the Flames to consider splitting that line up. Or at least, you know, it's kind of, I don't know, split up Goudreau and Kachuk, maybe at least. Spread out their best players a little bit more. Um, especially, you know, you're on the road for Game 4. Uh, the matchups may l- line up better if you end up with one of Goudreau or Kachuk out against, I don't know, the Radic fox line every now and then. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's not working right now for the Flames, right? It's just not. They got to change something up. So you got to imagine, you know, that's certainly, I think it's an extreme option because they have worked so well, you know, this entire year. But yeah, they haven't done anything really aside from scoring one of their goals so far. So you split them up and you make a great point about the road matchups. Uh, You spread them out so that, you know, you get a better matchup uh, and you can't line match, which the stars like to do. So, yeah, it's certainly a good suggestion for the Flames. I commend you. Good stuff. 
Thank you. Maybe I should be the coach. All right, let's uh let's move over to the Eastern Conference, and let's start with a weird one, Washington, Florida, and I say weird for a couple reasons. Reason number one is that the heavy favorite Panthers are down two to one after three games. Uh, reason number two is that game three wasn't even that close. The Panthers got shelled six one, and reason number three is that despite all that, those interesting things, I feel like it's the series I've like thought the least about. Maybe it's because going in, I was like, oh, yeah, you know, Florida's going to kill the Capitals or whatever. Um, and also, I think all the games, well, besides the afternoon game yesterday, um, but the first two games were like 7.30 starts, and I was naturally just more inclined to watch the one that started earlier and then stick with it because I had already been watching it. So I kind of just flipped to it on commercials and intermissions and stuff. Um, but, you know, based on how these first few games have went, and the Panthers are in a, a bit of a hole here, it's one I want to start paying more attention to because this could potentially be a very surprising upset in the making. And, you know, it may end up going seven games and we're getting essentially, you know, the ch- a chance for the, the President's Trophy team to go out in round one, which is something that hasn't happened in, in quite a long time. Well, oh, never mind. It happened to the Lightning like three years ago. But it's it's pretty rare in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, no, it's uh, I same here. I haven't watched too much of the series because, yeah, like you know, it's a the starting time, but b it just I thought they would the Panthers would take care of business, and all of a sudden they're out here losing like six one to the Capitals. Now, granted, there were a couple empty net goals, but still, you lose four one to the Capitals. Uh, I think uh, my impression is that the Capitals are trying to enforce, uh, you know, a kind of is trying to bog it down in the neutral zone to kind of neutralize the Panthers, you know, high-flying rush attack with with the amount of depth that they have. And it seems that they've been able to really kind of limit a lot of the Panthers' high-danger, like, scoring chance generation, which has in turn led to them being able to, you know, uh, win games and kind of limit them to, like, one goal in the the third game and two goals in the first game. But also, like, the Panthers got off to a slow start in that second game, too, before they scored, like, five goals in a row. Right, so it really does seem like the Caps have been able to find a system in which they can really like bog down the Panthers and their offense, which we haven't seen all year with the, with Florida. Uh, and so, yeah, it it is really jarring because yeah, the Panthers have really been able to have, have been the team that have been able to score their way out of problems, um, and they just the Caps have found a way to stifle it. And of all the teams uh, in this Eastern Conference to have done that, I cannot believe it's the Capitals. And, like, it's Peter Laviolette coaching this shit. It's insane. Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna take another big W on this. On our trade deadline episode, I specifically said, you know, the Capitals, they did some good work. They got some really great defensive forwards, Johan Larson and Marcus Johansson, and they could make a difference. And you said, yeah, yeah, sure, whatever. That's the Capitals. They suck. <laughs> or something, something. And guess what, you know? They've been important. Lars Eller, too, you know, great defensive center. We love Lars Eller, of course. Of course. And, uh, you know, those three guys have been doing a lot of great defensive work on the matchups against the Panthers. Uh, And another big thing, we were talking about their goaltending last week and how both their goalies were really bad in the last month of the season. They went to Vanacek. He wasn't very good. They switched to Samsonov in Game 2. And uh, then in Game 3, Samsonov again, and he was great. And the fans were chanting his name near the end or something. And I think I saw a quote from him after the game. He was like, uh, "Like, thank you, fans. I almost start to cry or something like that. So it looks like I, I, he's at least the guy for game four. Uh, and I think Vanacek was, you know, so bad lately that it would take a pretty 
massive stinker for Samsonov game four for him to not be the guy in game five as well. Um, where do you, where do you see this going now? Because there is, you know, on the one hand, well, I guess Washington figured out Florida, but it was just basically one game or maybe two games that they figured them out. And is Florida able to adapt or are we looking at yet another brand new team in the category of playoff chokers? Well, I mean, I don't know about brand new team. We're talking about a team like they have. When was the last time won a playoff series? Yeah, well, they never had any expectations in the playoffs, okay, so I don't think they have the choker label until now. If it happens, true, true. You know, even last year, right? They went against, they went up against the eventual Stanley Cup winners. So exactly, yeah, yeah. This is this man. I I have such a hard time tell, convincing myself that the Panthers are going to manage to lose this in the first round to the freaking Capitals. Like I, it's two one. Hell, if it was three one, you know. Uh, I, it was, <laughs> I can't, I can't get myself to buy it because the Panthers are just so fucking loaded. They got Aaron Ekblad back, you know, to start the series. Uh, and he's been solid. And so, yeah, I don't know what it is. Like just, you know, it was a, a bit of a collapse in game one, two. They gave up like three straight goals. Like, what are you doing? Uh, so, but even then it's questionable, but I feel like they can clean it up. You know, like it's. The Capitals are playing like an eight seed, right? They're 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 playing and they're winning like an eight seed. You know, you, you're opportunistic. You score on the power play. You you bog everything down. Um, and it feels like, it feels like the Panthers are such a good team that they can overcome it. You know, President's President's Trophy winning and whatnot. So I'm still, you know, obviously the trust has gone down a bit, but I'm still, you know, pretty, uh, not I wouldn't say certain, but I'm still leaning Panthers pretty strongly. Yeah, I'm I'm leaning Panthers too. I may be slightly biased because um the game in the series I paid most most attention to was game three, which was Washington six one win. And as the score would indicate, Panthers did not have much going. I'm sitting here thinking, Really? You won the president's trophy? This this is all you have? And I there's some kind of like syndrome of teams with, you know, too many offensive players and then they all dry up at the same time or some mental thing where you think someone else is going to score so you don't score I don't know it's kind of crazy but I mean it happened in front of my eyes yesterday I know it was just one game but um I, I don't think I'm quite as confident as you are that the Panthers have this one in the bag okay I you know I trust their ability to bounce back like you know they they it's not like they've had consecutive games of bad play they won game two in the middle there in pretty dominant fashion so you know, a bad loss. I, I haven't seen enough from the Panthers in terms of, you know, losing my faith in their ability to come back in game four and kind of shit kick, shit kick the Capitals because uh, they're just that much better. And this is, you know, the Capitals aren't reinvented or anything. This is the fucking Washington Capitals over here uh, in 2022. Not a very good team. Yeah, either way, I do. I have a sense that this one's going to end up going to, to game seven. Oh, man. Everything shake out. God. That would be so funny. You know, just so entertaining. Uh, It'd be yeah, a good one. It would be it, a good one. It would. All right. Uh, yeah, unless there's anything else you want to mention on the the, the Capitals and Panthers, uh, we can move over to the other series in the Atlantic, uh, the one with the current uh, game going on right now as we record. And, and as you mentioned, it's 3 nothing in the first period. Uh, it's Leafs Lightning. And, yeah, this is... Uh, you know, very interesting series. Very interesting. It goes back and forth, and yeah, it's been it's been fun to watch. So yeah, we talked about game one. Leafs just absolutely dominated the Lightning. 
it just it, well, I think it was five nothing by the end of it. Uh, so yep. yeah, no, it was it was in all aspects of the game, the Lightning looked completely taken aback, and like w- the talent gap that you kind of see on paper, uh, based on the regular season between the Leafs and the Lightning, you kind of saw it come to come and come to life in game one. Uh, but uh, in game two, they came back. Uh, Victor Hemman had a horrendous game one. Came back in game two, got four points, and they really capitalized on the power play. Uh, and then out in game three, now this is a fun one. Uh, Leafs go out to a three nothing lead. Looks like it's about to be another pretty dominant showing. So yeah, like like you know, the Leafs made it somewhat close to five three in game two, but it was like five one, right? So it wasn't that close. Uh, and but yeah, no, it they. It was 3-2 until the very end, basically, when the Leafs scored a couple empty net goals. Uh, and Jack Campbell stole the show. And I'm going to start with that. It seems like, you know, we've got ourselves a goaltending battle. And so far, well, I can't, I can't have him been watching game four. So can't say it's been going great. But uh, Jack Campbell <laughs> in the first three games has been better than Andre Vasilevsky and has been fantastic. And even at 5-on-5, five five, it feels like the, the Leafs are the better team. And the Lightning really took advantage of the their power play opportunities in game two to kind of drive them into the win. Uh, but, you know, it is the voodoo Leafs, but those are the two takeaways. Uh, at five on five, it seems like the Leafs are a better team and uh, the Campbell's been the better goalie. Would you switch your pick now? No, absolutely not. I still am picking All the Lightning right. to win, especially given the All three right. nothing, but I'm still confident in the Lightning and the Leafs' ability to come yeah. out. I was going to say this... Um... This super hot start in game three for the Lightning is exactly the reason why I chose them in the first place. And it's exactly the reason why I'm as confident as ever that they're going to win this series. Um, everyone's been talking about the crazy stat of Tampa over their past two playoff runs, both Stanley Cup wins. They're 14-0 after losses. And that trend has continued so far in this playoffs to 15-0. And if they don't blow this 3-0 lead, it will be 16-0 by the end of the night. And that is kind of the opposite of the Leafs, who, dating back to 2018, in games where they can clinch a series, are oh and let me just count in my head real quick, oh and one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, oh and seven in games <laughs> where they can clinch a series. As soon as they get to three wins in a series, or in that rare best of five Columbus bubble instance, gets to two wins, everything appears to just totally shut down for them. And so, uh, dominant game one, good for you. Very solid performance, especially by Jack Campbell in game three. Good for you. As soon as you get to three wins in this series, that's what I'm interested in, seeing how you react to that. Because this is the same story we've seen, you know? They have they have great showings. It's not just like the playoffs start and they, they turn it off. They have great showings in the playoffs until they get to, we just need one more win. And that's when things collapse. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Like they can't even, t- yeah, they can't string to string to string it together. And obviously, Tampa is a you know different beast when it comes to coming back from losses. But even now, like I don't, they're losing three nothing the first period, uh, in a game where if you, you know game fours are always extremely important because it's you know usually what decides between two two and three one. So you know, isn't it? <laughs> Seems like they got off like you know falling asleep a bit. And so yeah, it's it really is like they don't give me confidence in terms of taking that last step that, you know, cross the finish line. And yeah, even, even when it seems like, you know, on paper, it seems like, you know, they hit their, all their goals. They even got like depth contributions. Like everybody's talking about, you know, the David camp line from game three and how they were so great, uh, you know, 
both offensively and scoring that goal, but also in handling those those first line minutes against uh, against those Tampa forwards. Uh, but you know, it's like oh, everybody's you know talking great about him, and then they throw in a stinker, and we're still in the first period, but it's three nothing. So yeah, it's uh, there's no buy in for me. You know, like it, it we've seen it before. Like it's like last year the game it was three one, right? And everybody's like, oh my god, the Leafs are are clicking. Everything that you would want to happen is happening. Uh, not just in terms of results, but also on ice play from whatever forwards that you want to see. Uh, and but they still managed to like fucking find ways to lose games. So yeah, still still picking the lightning in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the recent series against Boston either 18 or 19, I don't remember which one, shaped up kind of like this one is shaping up now, and that the Leafs won all the odd-numbered games except for number seven, like, like one game one, lost game two, one game three, lost game four, one game five, lost game six, then lost game seven. And, I mean, based on how the series has gone so far, it's looking like that could happen again. And it kind of fits to a, a narrative that some people have about the Leafs, which is that uh, they kind of turn things off when things are going well after you know a win it kind of you know obviously not consciously but maybe subconsciously uh could get it in their heads that all right we did it and then then take the next game off and then by the time you get to we're at three wins then the the symptom the syndrome i was talking about before kicks in yeah maybe they should just start series by losing you know Put yourself in a three-one hole. See how you do there, uh, because yeah, no. They week, tried that in 2013. <laughs> Didn't work so well. <laughs> Almost worked. That was, a, that was a whole different generation, though. That was nine, yeah, I know, whole, and... nine whole ass years ago. That's crazy. Uh, but, but yeah, no. It's just you know they they do yeah. You as you said they win. Like for example, when they you know as they do on a pretty regular basis, find ways to lose to shit teams in the regular season. They then follow that up with usually a dominant stretch of play, right? Before we get our like monthly bad game against Buffalo or whatever it is. Uh, but you know they show that they're a resilient team when they're faced with adversity. But it's always when they're on, they're high flying that they you get such a Buffalo game or you get you know you lose three games in a row to the Habs last year. Uh, so I you know at this point it happens so many times that you can't help but kind of buy into that narrative, right? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> they keep doing it. They keep fucking doing it. Yeah, I mean, I kind of even feel it feels weird for me to to kind of like try to pathologize the Leafs because I tend to try to avoid doing that at all costs when I talk about sports. But this has happened now like what, 4 or 5 years in a row. Can't really avoid it when you're seeing the same pattern emerge every single time. Yeah. And and it's usually at this point, at least the last couple of years, uh where they're the overwhelming favorites against Columbus against the Habs and, you know, on paper they were the favorites against the Lightning. Uh, just based on the regular season, but also you know how the Lightning have taken a step back. So, yeah, it's they're like they can't handle the favorite status for some reason, and it just it keeps happening, right? Yeah, once, twice, whatever. Fool me three times, you know. Now, now we're talking about a real kind of pattern. So whatever it is of the Leafs, I don't know what it is. Is it the roster? Is it Austin Matthews? Is he a perennial choker? I don't know. I'm going to have to take a closer look because why is it that we see these massive swings in performance? Uh, it's tough to kind of point to like on the ice. Yeah. Um, one last thought on this series. It's really 
come to the forefront how similar these teams' jerseys look. It's really, I know. it's really, it's bad, ridiculous. It's awful. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I don't know how the NHL lets these two teams, especially two teams in the same division, get away with this because it's honestly absurd. There are so many colors in the world, in the world, so many different <laughs> shades of blue. You didn't depict the exact same one or one that's like two degrees off from each other. It's crazy and incredibly confusing, especially for a casual fan who's like, "Wait, who's blue and white and not white and blue?" Yeah, no, the, the jerseys are basically identical too. It's not even like either of them have got a particularly unique design. The only thing you can tell them apart is based on their logo, right? It's just like solid blue, solid mm-hmm. white with a logo, some some like stripes of blue on the white jersey. And yeah, <laughs> sometimes I'll forget which team is home, and then have no idea what the hell's going on. Uh, like I have to rem- every time I look at the screen, I have to remind myself. All right, Toronto's in white today. Right, yeah. Like every time you know, I switch because I'm switching back between you know games because they have simultaneous games. And you know, the after the commercial break, I come back and it's like, oh yeah, which team is it? Okay, all right. And it it is disorienting a bit. So yeah, sh- shame on the league for this one. And you're right, division opponents too. Not not much they can do at this point. I think. I don't even know what the hell you do. Like force a rebrand for one of the teams. Um, but yes, it's, uh, do you- that. Force. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, just get like, I don't know, a, tell Tampa to make a compromise. Tampa has a slightly darker shade of blue and Toronto gets a slightly lighter one. Something like that. I'm sure they're solved. slightly different now. I just They need to be different enough. We no, need a they're not slightly thing. enough. Go more slightly. Go. Yeah, all right. Or less slightly. More extreme. Uh, yeah, no, it's... Like, I get maybe you could even have a Toronto versus Tampa jersey, you know? Like, the Lightning always wear an orange jersey when they're playing the Leafs or some shit like that. <laughs> I like I that. Mean, that works. Thank you. Uh, I, 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 that's my that's my plan. Uh, because uh, is there another combo that's somewhat similar? I don't think so. Not one that comes to mind that really kind of sticks out like, oh, shit, this jersey combo stinks. It's really this Lightning, Leafs, blue and white. So, yeah, you don't need to do it for every matchup, but just for the Leafs Lightning, you know? Make them wear, like, pink or orange. Do it. Yeah, nothing's nothing's this close. I can think of. I know, like, it's not like I get confused like this. But when Detroit plays Montreal, I'm like, yeah, these jerseys are kind of ugly together. Like, the shades of red are different enough to clash with each other, so it's ugly. But that's a totally different problem. Yeah, I get it. It's yucky. Um, so yeah, that's that. So you know, someone might want to take our advice on this one. You can be, you know, you talked earlier about replacing Daryl Sutter. I'll replace the jersey dude. Uh, for making those kind of decisions. <laughs> the the uh, person who works for the NHL who decides what all the jerseys for every team look like? Exactly. Yes. I'm sure there's one guy who's responsible for all of it, and I want to be him yeah. or her. And his uh, name is Martin Brodeur. <laughs> uh, I'm coming after his job. All right. <laughs> so uh, off to the Metropolitan Division. Uh, we can start with Bruins Hurricanes, who had the early game today so it's the only series where oh actually we knew the results of so it's one of two series where we know the results of game four uh and yeah this one's interesting this one's fat lots of lots of storylines with this one uh where you know the hurricanes uh looked dominant in terms of winning the first two games uh they didn't have freddie anderson freddie anderson is yet to make an appearance uh and anti ranta even got injured in the middle of game two yet to go to Pyotr kachekov uh for Games two and three, he came back for game four where, he, you know, he lost. Uh, but yeah, so first of all, um, who could have seen this coming? Anti Ranta got getting injured in a key situation. Um, but also, looks like the you know, the Bruins offense, which was shut down after the first two games, uh, 
looks like Bruce Cassidy made some adjustment. And the notable one is he got that big line together. We talked extensively about how moving past the neck down to the second line to pair him up with Taylor Hall has paid off big time in terms of offensive production and of really kind of igniting Jake DeBrusque too and his ability in the first line. While they, it seems that they've undone that, uh, they moved up Pasternak, they've put it together, and they've it's paid off massive dividends. Uh, in particular with Brad Marchand, who was very quiet the first two games, has had, I think, eight points in two games now. Uh, he had five in game four. And uh, yeah, they've completely turned around. It's 2-2. It's a whole new series. Uh, and Freddie Anderson is still MIA. Yeah, that lineup shakeup you were talking about, reuniting the the Ratchatouille line. Uh, you know, it was it was good for a time to you know bring up DeBrusque, put Pasternak with Hall and Halla, but we all kind of knew eventually they were going to put it back together. And clearly, uh, this was the right time to do it. Perhaps even a little earlier would have been absolutely fine because you know when they're clicking, they're unstoppable, and you know Boston's depth isn't what it has been in years past, especially with David Krejci missing. But, I mean, that stat just speaks for itself. What, what, how many points? Did you say eight points in the past two games for Marshan? Yes, that's right. I mean, I, I don't care how good your, your depth is, all right? If you have a, a combination that, you know, brings that out of him, then uh, then you do it. And they, they managed to win today even without Charlie McAvoy, who was out. Um, so the Bruins are just getting going, and the Hurricanes are just kind of slowing down. After Kochetkov came into came into game two, he was he was great. He was awesome. They won the game. Um, was not quite as good in game three. Anti Ranta wasn't great today. And now now is what I'm worried about may happen. If Freddie Anderson's like you know borderline able to come back, they may kind of rush him back into things because neither goalie has been stellar in his latest performance. Yeah. Uh, which yeah. Though so Carolina would would continue to see their kind of, you know, playoff struggles continue. Uh, and, yeah, the goalie situation is just a mess right now. And, yeah, we, where where do you even go at this point? I don't know how healthy Ranta is. It was a lower body thing, right? So maybe they've rushed him back too. Hard to say. He hasn't looked great. Yep. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's really kind of devolved. You probably could have seen this coming, you know, with the two goalies that they had. But, yeah, it's kind of falling apart. I think Boston just needs to continue to score the first goal. Uh, and it, it, we saw it in the first two games, like Carolina, they're so good defensive. They can really kind of sit in that, on that playoff lead. Uh, and that's why I think, you know, that Charlie Coyle goal in, in game three was massive, like shorthanded too. Uh, and it really kind of gave the vibe like, oh, you know, like I think it was Strochek who scored the first goal in that game. And I was like, oh, they're going to do the same thing again. You know, just like the first two games, they're going to shut us down. Uh, and, but you know, that Coyle goal, I think if they do win that, this series, it's, I think that's probably the turning point. Um, you know, obviously putting that big line back together is huge, but man, it kind of, it, it gave the vibe of, oh, it looks like Carolina is going to shut it down again for game three. And then you got three, nothing lead. Uh, but so I credit that, uh, as the tur- TSN turning point of the series. Um, and <laughs> the otherwise fusion turning point, the fusion turning point. Thank you. Uh, and otherwise, yeah. So there's this whole, like, you know, Tony D'Angelo fucking feud right now going on. Um, where I like I you know I'm not sure exactly what it is but like you know he was like mocking Marshan's nose and then the broadcast like cuts to him and Marshan's calling him a racist and shit which like yeah that's it is what it is you know he is a racist uh, and then uh, yeah my favorite moment of this whole feud was like at the end of the game and uh, you know fucking D'Angelo throws his stick at Marshan as Marshan goes in for an empty net scores another goal another point. And uh, yeah, it looks like he's off his game. I gotta say, Tony D'Angelo, motherfucker, looks rattled 
and you'll love to see it. And also, Jack Edwards had a pretty great call of the moment. So go and check that out if you can, because it's pretty pretty funny for for noted Homer Jack Edwards. Yeah, I mean Brad Marchand, of course, is notorious for being able to to rattle the opponent better than everyone else. And Tony D'Angelo is probably not extremely difficult to rattle compared to many other players. So maybe we should have seen this coming. It's clear that Marshan, as of late, has got out on the winning side of things. My my turning point of the series, though, is, is different from yours. Game 1, Linus Ulmark, and Game 2, Linus Ulmark, both losses for Boston. He was a sub-880 save percentage in both games. Swayman comes in for Game 3, it's a win. Game 4, it's a win. And he's over a 920 save percentage in both games. I do not know why Swayman was not starting Game 1. I was yeah. surprised. I was like, what are you? Okay. Okay, then Bruce Cassidy. But he made the switch, and there's a very clear correlation between success and failure for Boston this series, depending on who's a net. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, so, I mean, you know, I don't think I don't think Allmark was particularly bad, as his numbers suggest. He just didn't give them a save when they needed one. Uh, and Swayman just looks great out there. So, yeah, and I, I don't understand. It seemed like Swayman was, you know, he kind of slowed down near the, down the stretch uh, over the course of the regular season, but I thought he was the better goalie throughout, honestly. So, hard to say. Um yeah, so yeah, the home team has won each game. We'll see how it how it you know how it goes moving forward because you know can the Bruins they don't have the last change anymore that perfection line or Ratatouille line they can't avoid you know Carolina's got a shutdown line uh, of like you know Jordan Stahl and his his married men Jesper Fast and Dino Niederreiter so we'll see if they can keep up this offensive pace we'll see if Bruce Cassidy keeps them together I think that's uh, something to keep track of in, in game game five and seven in particular when it's in Carolina. Yeah. Honestly, the fact that Boston put the Ratatouille line back together and they're rolling just as, you know, as good as they've ever been before. Swayman's rolling. They were able to win today and be great even without uh, Charlie McAvoy. I have uh, more faith in my pick for the Bruins than I did even when I made it. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think I said Boston and six. I'm going to stand by that. I think they win both the next two games. Right. Um, yeah, you can absolutely see it. And, and Carolina seems like they're kind of fading down the stretch. Uh, and where will this great, you know, comeback come from in terms of turning the tide? I don't know. I don't know where it's going to come from. So I know, know where like... it'll come from when they when they call up goalie Beck Warm, <laughs> and he's going to save the day. He was a, Man. I think I, I, he was like a nine twelve in the ECHL oh. this year or something. Such great numbers. So the answer is right in front of their noses. Let's see if they can find yeah. it. We have identified <laughs> on this podcast. Let's see if, if, uh, <laughs> if, uh, if the Hurricanes lose, this is why they yeah, didn't call up Beck Warm. Yeah, I mean, you could say it. You can absolutely. Maybe if they had played him, they would have won the series. We'll never know. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. there's plausible deniability there. All right. Uh, and maybe any- last year, if Pittsburgh played Louis Domingue, they would have beaten the Islanders. Yeah. <laughs> we can say that for every single third-string goalie. Let's do it. Uh, <laughs> and and fourth-string goalie. I don't know. Is Beckworm, what, the fifth goalie in that organization? Uh, Beckworm is, like, fifth at best. All right. Fair enough. Uh, okay, speaking of Louis Domingue and coming in and wrecking shop for a certain team, uh, we have, I think it's been my favorite series to kind of watch. Uh, it just seems like it goes back and forth. Lots to cover, lots to talk about. It depends on the Rangers. Uh, and man, I'm feeling good about my Penguins pick. Bet when you you mentioned feeling better about a pick than you did at the beginning. Uh, that's that's me right now with this Penguins pick. Uh, you know, notable 
for the, the game one was crazy. Went to triple overtime, uh, and where the Penguins were like by and far the better team than the Rangers in that game. And so, you know, it was nice to see them win. Shesterkin wasn't able to to steal the W. But notably, uh, we mentioned how Tristan Jari's hurt. Uh, look, Casey DeSmith got hurt in that game. Uh, and at least on the broadcast I was watching, uh, they were like, oh, it's cramps. He needs, to, he needs to get it together. I think it was like Henrik Lundqvist on the MSG broadcast was like, oh, it's cramps. Uh, he needs to, like, you know, he was like, he, he basically implied he needs to stop being so weak. Uh, but it turns out, no, he had a lower body injury and he got surgery for it. So he's out for the rest of the series. And uh, yeah, in comes Louis Domingue out co- in cold in like, I think the first overtime and he wins it for them. Uh, Rangers come back to win game two in pretty dominant fashion. Uh, but uh, game three was another fun one. You know, I think it was a 4-1 lead for the Penguins at a certain point. Rangers come back. Uh, and, and they even pulled Shesterkin. So that's that's a big thing right there. You know, have they broken the man? Is he, Okay, so that's the thing. I think he's he's tired, is, is the impression I got from watching that game three. Uh, Rangers storm back, tied up 4-4. But then uh, Georgiev, I think it was Danton Heinen, who scored that fifth goal. Weak fucking goal. Terrible. Awful. Just garbage goal. Uh, and so, yeah, the Penguins end up winning it 7-4. And so now we got Louis Domingue leading the Penguins to a 2-1 series lead right now. Mm, all right. We okay, we should be, you know, it's not like Louis Domingue has been Ken Dryden or anything. No, he's been uh, mediocre at best. He, <laughs> he yeah, he was yeah, he was, you know, <laughs> solid when he came in cold and he made the saves he had to and his team happened to score before he got scored on. So that was nice he got the win. Game 2 was a 5-2 loss. So he, you know, he wasn't great and he gave up four goals uh the game after that. <laughs> so so it's not like he's been a hero or anything. True. Um Igor Shesterkin on the other hand, you know, he was very bad in game 3. But he was only very bad in game 3, you know. I think that was an outlier. And I think that Louis Domingue not really being an NHL caliber goalie is probably going to catch up to the Penguins over the course of the series. And I think Igor Shesterkin's Maybe not going to regress back to you know being a nine thirty five or whatever like he was during the regular season, but I think he's going to be very solid from here on out. Especially because you know uh, Gallant kind of pulled him right away, or not right away, but early on in the game, and so he did get you know a little extra rest by only playing about. I think he only played the one period in game three, and I think that could make a difference moving forward. So I'm still pretty comfortable with my Rangers pick, honestly. Are you freaking out about, oh, yeah, my Penguins, Louis Domingue, look at them go. I'm like, really, Louis Domingue, you're going with that? Okay, then. Yes, I am. Uh, I got to say, Louis Domingue's glove hand stinks. It's something that the Penguin, uh, the Rangers keep shooting at, and it keeps going in the net. It's like, man, <laughs> like, like that capo-cackle goal, uh, I think, to make it 1-1 in Game 3. was yeah. like, man, that shit was weak. That shit was, well, that was weak. That was, that was awful yeah. coverage from, uh, from, I think, Marcus Pedersen. Or, or one of the Penguins defensemen just kind of, you know, covered that pass terribly and Kako had all the space in the world. So it wasn't all in Domingue, that one. Right. But even then, he should have had it. It wasn't like, a, you know, a sharp, you know, they keep shooting at his glove and it keeps going in. You know, at a certain point, you got to, you know, he's, you're absolutely right. He's a third string goalie. Like, no, he's not the second coming of Christ. Uh, and, but he, he's he's been fine. And man, like <laughs> it's a minor miracle they didn't land a goal in game one to kind of lose it for them. 
Uh, yeah, to be totally honest, my optimism comes from the fact that I did not think the Penguins would have a series lead at any point in this series. And the fact that they've but established them anyway. games in is, is, is honestly very inspiring. Uh, and I already feel like I've won. Like, if they lose the next three games, I still feel vindicated. Um, that's how I feel about Dallas Calgary. That's exactly how I feel. That's very fair. I, I can absolutely see why. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's that. And, and I think, you know, Crosby's looked fantastic. You know, playoff Sidney Crosby has looked great. Uh, I gotta, I gotta, you know, like, so Brian Dumoulin got hurt after game one. He missed game two and three. And since they put Chris Letang with Mike Matheson and man, Brian Dumoulin better get his ass back on the ice because that pairing stinks. Um, Here's the, so, yeah, go ahead. Here's the thing, though. Brian Dumoulin has had a famously awful season this year. Like, everyone's like, what the hell is going on with Brian Dumoulin? He's just like, worse than ever. Meanwhile, Michael Matheson's been tearing it up on the bottom pairing, and that is the bottom pairing. And people had reservations about, you know, if you bring him up, give him heavier minutes, might not work out so well. And you know what? It hasn't. Um, so the problem for Pittsburgh isn't, you know, you know, Matheson's bad on the top pairing or Dumoulin's bad on the top pairing. It's that they don't really have any good options there. Um, and Chris Letang at this point, his career isn't good enough that he can drag a weaker partner up. So, I mean, maybe you throw Mark Friedman up there because, you know, he's been pretty solid in the bottom bearing role, which I guess was the case for Matheson too. Maybe Mark but try out Marcus Pedersen, but that Pedersen Marino as the second pair is, is very solid. So that is one definitely concern the Penguins should have is that even if Dumoulin comes back, you don't have such a great uh, option there for top pair left side. That's fair, but I think it's a massive downgrade for not just in terms of the talent overall, but it does seem like Latang and Matheson both play worse with each other. And I think that's probably has to do with their style. Um, both pretty offensively minded defensemen, especially Matheson, who well, actually, both of them, really. They don't do much in the defensive zone. And so, you know, Dumoulin, while not good this year, has at least been somewhat stabilizing and has allowed, you know, Latang to kind of roam free in the offensive zone and, and be a bit more aggressive. But he can't do that when you have Mike Matheson next to you, who's terrible in his own zone as well and can't defend. So I think th- this co- combo in particular, like, it, it makes them both worse. And so that's why it's as concerning to me. Because I feel like at least with Dumoulin in there, Latang plays better, and Matheson can do whatever the hell he wants with the third pair and not be an active liability, which we all thought he would be, but somehow he hasn't been, like some miracle. But uh, so yeah, that's that. And so I, I, I think you know if Dumoulin does come back, I think it makes a significant difference, not maybe in the overall talent, but in how Latang and Matheson both play. Uh, and so yeah, but you know they have been dominating, like at five on five, right? And that's that's been surprising to me. Because, well, you know, we all thought at the early stages of the season, you know, Rangers are just a power play and a goalie. Uh, you know, people were like, oh, they're better than that down the stretch or whatnot. Uh, it doesn't seem like that. I got to say, Penguins look like the better team at even strength. Uh, and, you know, they've been like hella injured too. You know, obviously they're goalies. I mentioned Dumoulin. Ricard Raquel got injured in the first game, hasn't come back. I think Jason Zucker just came back. He looked fine. He looked good. He looked solid. Uh, so they were only getting healthier for the Penguins. Well, unless they don't. But, you know, there's still there's a lot of return potential uh, in terms of the injuries here for the Penguins. Yeah, I find it funny. Like, they still have their third-string goalie and missing a top-pairing defenseman. And compared to what things have been in the past for Pittsburgh, you're like, they're only getting healthier. Um, <laughs> but I have, I have a solution for them, their little problem on defense. Uh, leave Matheson with Ruedel on that bottom pairing. Leave Pedersen with Marino on that second pairing. And you call up Pierre-Olivier Joseph to play alongside Chris Letang. Why not? Can't go wrong. It. Well, I don't know, you know, how 
See, I think. Well, what is Pierre Poj's playing style? He rocks. He's great. He's awesome. He's excellent. <laughs> right, but is he? How's his defensive acumen? Is more my question because I think it, we're it's really okay. It'll be fine. Like it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> You're just here for the hype, right? Just here for the yeah. Poj hype. Fair enough. <laughs> everyone loves everyone loves Poj. Who doesn't love him? Of course, superstar. Uh, so yeah, um, so yeah. Anything else you want to add on this series? Um, and how you feel about the Rangers going forward? You know what what they can do to kind of elevate themselves. Um, honestly, I think just stay the course. I I really wow. I think because like game game Man. two, the one that the Rangers won, felt the most normal game to me out of them all so far. You know, Shesterkin wasn't strangely awful. There was no triple overtime that could have gone either way. You know, so I feel like we can expect the series moving forward to be more like game two than like game three. And so leaning in the Rangers' favor. All right. I I think it's really concerning for the Rangers that they're getting out chances at even strength. I mean, it's the Penguins. They always do. They always are. Yeah, but it's a team, you know, it's it's against a team. Like the caliber of team that the Penguins were heading into the playoffs. Uh, they just seem so much better against the Rangers, you know? And it's concerning. That says something about the Rangers, I think. So, you know, I'm happy to have not picked the Rangers to win any series this year. Uh, cause yeah, it's just, you know, it's not even that the, you know, the Penguins look fine and, you know, they probably give up more chances than I'd like, especially considering they're playing in front of a third string goalie, but it's just, it's, it's, it's very surprising to me how good they look against the Rangers. And I think that says more about the Rangers than the Penguins suddenly, suddenly, you know, turning back the clock six years. I'm on the other hand, I'm very happy to have not chosen the team with Louis Domingue. So to each their own, I suppose. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, so that's that's about all the series that we've covered. Uh, any anything else you'd like to add on this playoff recap of the week? Uh, not really. You know, that's the playoffs so far. But we do have one more thing we want to touch on, uh, and it is the draft lottery. As tradition, we we love the draft lottery. Everyone, if you listen to us for a while, you know that we we have draft lottery hype like like no other. Sadly, uh, after 2020, much of that has disappeared due to the well documented terrible new format. Thanks to the Red Wings for complaining and getting it changed. That was sarcasm. Uh, shame on the Red Wings for complaining, getting it changed because it happened not to fall in their favor like four years in a row. Bunch of whiny babies. But anyway, it is what it is. And to recap, uh, what you need to know for this year basically is, well, it's the same as last year in that instead of three lotteries, there are only two. And instead of if you win a lottery, you move up to a top two pick, the most you can move up is 10 slots. So only the, the worst 11 teams have a shot at the first pick. If someone, say... Uh, who's a good example of this? Let me just pull up the where are the here we go. Say Vancouver, who has the 15th best lottery odds, wins, then they move up to slot number five, which would be so boring. <laughs> they win a lottery and it wins a lottery and they move up to like, oh, you moved up to the fourth pick. Who cares? Um, but. I'll stop complaining now. The the actual numbers themselves are the same. Montreal is the top odds for being the worst. 18.5% at winning a lottery. And of course, if they won the first lottery, they'd stay 
where they are in pick number one. Arizona, 13.5. Seattle, 11.5. And things steadily move down to 0.5. It's Philadelphia, New Jersey, Chicago, Ottawa, Detroit, Buffalo, Anaheim, San Jose, Columbus, New York Islanders, Winnipeg, Vancouver, and Vegas. couple fun notes. Uh, Chicago's pick is going to Columbus from the Seth Jones trade unless they win a lottery and pick in the top two, in which case they keep it and give next year's pick to Columbus. And a similar thing going on with Vegas, who has uh, terrible lottery odds at 0.5%. But if they do win one and move up into the top 10, um, then they keep their pick. If that doesn't happen, then it goes to Buffalo from the Eichel trade. So I'm thinking we make some predictions. Do you have any, are you you leaning anywhere, any which way? Okay. Well, first of all, I got to mention the first year that a team, you know, moves up 10 spots and is that, and then limited, you know what I mean? Like, you know, the 13th team wins, wins the lottery and moves to third instead of second or first. I will, I, you know, I'm going to scream a big fuck you at the lottery system. Well, already, you know, already the fact that there are only two and not three, I'm already pissed about it and we'll continue to be pissed about it every year. That's the worst part. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, that limits the the worst the the lower odds even more than the most really is to uh, take away that third lottery. So that's terrible, awful. Uh, and yeah, what's the oh yeah a point of clarification? Like say I don't know Vancouver wins the first lottery, and then Montreal wins the second one. Or no, let's say Seattle wins the second one. Well, do they get the first pick or the second pick? Seems very that's a good question. To me. I I imagine. Uh they move up to first. I think everyone, you know, basically when you win a lottery, you move up as high as you possibly can. Uh, so first lottery, the winner moves up maximum of 10 spots, which for most of these teams would mean moving up to first. And then you're locked in there. And then whoever wins the next lottery uh, moves up as much as you can, maximum of 10 spots. Um, but if somebody... I guess, you know, is already locked into first. That means you're second. But otherwise, if it's like the situation you just outlined, I assume, you know, they move into first. So I don't think like Vancouver or someone around there winning a lottery means Montreal is now locked into first pick. Right. Which is an incredibly stupid and convoluted system. Now, I don't disagree with the logic to not lock the halves into that first pick, but I disagree having a system where the second lottery potentially determines the first pick. Terrible. Garbage. Uh, and I cannot get down with this, and I will never get down with this system. Terrible. Uh, they had a gut. They had a right for crying out loud, man. They had it perfect. I God. love that system. Awful. Oh, never gonna what a be, blissful never, five never years have. that we uh, will never forget. Damn. What a shame. Anyway, Jack Campbell just gave up a terrible goal. It was like went <laughs> right through his glove. It's four nothing. <laughs> Ross Colton took took a shot. Oh, oh, you got to see this one. Oh, Jack, oh, it, it goes in, it like touches his glove and goes by him anyway. And then he just stares at his glove like there's a hole in it or something. <laughs> oh, man. One second. I am going to turn on my stream uh, and yeah, have yeah, this out it. on the side. But anyways, uh, yeah, you asked oh, for it. Oh, you should. Oh, that's that's ugly. Oh, that's terrible. I think it's about to show up. But anyways, uh, while I watch, you want to give me your prediction? I'll, I'll give my prediction after yours. Actually, I, let's let's hold on predictions for for a little bit, bit right. and talk about some of the prospects, um, because uh, as as you may know, I kind of you know in the past have done deep dives on prospects, really tried to get to know them, especially in twenty twenty, uh, and you know the first COVID summer, especially the very long pause. I was like, oh, let me learn all there is to know about the draft. I did like the deepest dive ever, 
hasn't quite been the case the past couple of years, but I started, you know, doing some, some minimal research to get to know some of the top guys a little better. Of course, there's Shane Wright, ranked number one everywhere you look, you know. As sometimes, you you know, that someone's like, oh, maybe not, but uh, that's even stupider this year than it probably mostly is. He's going to be the top pick. There's basically no question. Um, and there's a little bit of a clump after him, but in my opinion, from what I know so far, Logan Cooley is the name that emerges out of that clump and is probably the name I'd have pegged at number two. Uh, he was on the USA Junior team. He's a center on the, the U.S. development program. And the gen, very general report on him is uh, flashes of, of electrifying creativity, brilliant in uh, offensive transition, defensive game, leaves a little something to, to be desired. It's not stellar, which, you know, when it's not like he's a liability, it's just like could be worked on, but he clearly has an incredibly high ceiling that maybe does, you know, approach the Shane Wright dynamic top line center level. Um, that That's what's really exciting, I think. And the reason I think he should go number two. Um, Uri Slavkovsky, another name that's consistently ranked in the top three. Um, he was on Team Slovakia at the World Juniors. He is a, a winger and he's not very fast, but everything seems to to remind me of like like the Jager style. I'm not saying he's going to end up, you know, second in points all time or anything. Um, but, you know, he uses his size to hold on to the puck and be very patient and generate scoring chances that way. And basically, if he's going to be a, a star in the NHL, that's the style he's going to kind of replicate is the sense I'm getting. Um, so he could very well end up being a dominant winger. And uh, two more names I'll throw out for now. Two, two defensemen, David Yerichek and Simone Nemec. Yerichek is the one I'm probably uh, slightly uh, leaning towards. Um, basically, I just, he's just more well-rounded or appears to be. And has a pretty decent combination of like skill, uh, creativity, and defensive competence. So not really a weakness in his game. And there's definitely a bit of a ceiling there uh, on offense. Uh, Simone Nemec, similar offensive ceiling. Defensive game isn't quite up to up to par yet seems to be what people are saying about him but there's not such a big difference between those two there that's five names all right so there we go that's that's who the lottery thank you very much for the overview uh that's who we're lotterying for potentially uh and yeah i just looked at that goal and yikes that was brutal (laughs) um probably worst goal of the playoffs barring that you know mike smith loser uh in game one uh and looks like tampa's on a five on three now so this is this is a slippery slope for the leafs uh, anyways, so let me make my prediction now. My very educated prediction as to the results of this lottery. I think that the first pick will be won by the Arizona Coyotes um, based off of absolutely nothing. Uh, and the second pick, hmm, let us let us have the Chicago Blackhawks uh, retain their pick. Um you know what? Never mind. I'm changing it. I want the Ottawa Senators to win. <laughs> Corey Perry All just right. scored. Five nothing. <laughs> uh very funny. Very funny. Uh and so there we go. That's my pick. Arizona Ottawa. Two historically terrible teams. Recently. All right. Um I think the first pick will go to the Detroit Red Wings and all their whining will have paid off. Oh, and they go, Thank boom. you. The system has finally worked in our favor. And they keep the Shane Wright's going to Detroit. Oh man! And then I think Arizona's 
staying put at pick number two. They're going to win that second lottery. Um, as perhaps, you know, some kind of cosmic balance for getting, you know, totally, uh, you know, the short end of the stick in the McDavid Eichel lottery. And they put Dylan Strom, who they turn into Nick Schmaltz, who's okay, but obviously, you know, McDavid or Eichel. I think things balance out for them. And they get their hands on some good old Logan Cooley action before they play in their college arena for the next couple of years. <laughs> uh, let's see. Was was Cooley in the uh, US NDP? Is that where he comes yeah, from? Yeah, he is. Okay, so he'll be right at home in those college arenas. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Uh, okay. All right. So there we go. This is so much more fun when we pick three. I, oh, I wish you could I pick three. I know. I could, oh, you know, so I could. Better. Yeah, it would be so much more realistic for me to pick like fucking. I want the Islanders to win a pick, you know, or some shit like that. But instead, I can't. I just don't have the heart to do it. The worst I can do is pick the team with the seventh best odds. Yeah. Uh, also, like, the fun thing with with the old draft lottery, you know, besides I thought it was actually quite fair, it was more entertaining. And, you know, the NHL, if your goal is to be entertaining, which, it, you know, actually rarely seems like it is, um, that was it, you know? One three is a satisfying number, you know, the top three, who's it gonna be, or whatever, that type of thing. And you go to Sim the Lottery, you go click, click, click. It was fun, you know? They got people hooked, especially right at the beginning in twenty sixteen. Why change that? There's no reason to. Uh Yeah. You're 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 speaking to the you're preaching to the choir or whatever that saying is. Um I know. Yeah. It, it blows. <laughs> Terrible. You're singing to the band. <laughs> Exactly. All right. Well, tune in anyways. The lottery. I think it's it's probably going to be in the intermission of a uh, playoff game on Tuesday. I, don't uh, know. I think it's I think it's six thirty actually. I oh. think that's what I saw. So before six thirty, okay. Eastern right. time, Tuesday, May tenth. Draft's going to be in Montreal too. So got some mm-hmm. local flavor if the Habs win. All right. Uh. So yeah, we've covered everything that we wanted to today. Is there anything else you want to mention before we call it a week? Um, I'll mention one more thing, uh, which is a new draft lottery idea. Um, because honestly, there are probably a million options that are better better than the current one. And here's one I always thought, you know, it was, I was advantageous to the worst teams in that they get better odds. But it was also advantageous to the worst teams in that they could only fall so far. And sometimes I thought, what if it was only advantageous to the worst teams in one of those ways? So like the odds are, you know heavily skewed in the favor of Montreal, Arizona, Seattle, that type of thing. But also, every single pick in the top 16 has a lottery. So it's very unlikely, but it could happen that Montreal like drops to 16, something like that. Um, but then again, their odds are uh, heavily you know, in favor of staying near the top. Or the other way around, it's advantageous in that they can only fall so far, but all the odds are flat. So... Any one of the bottom 16 teams has a best as an equal shot at jumping up to pick number one, but Montreal still has an advantage in that the furthest they can drop is like number four or something like that. I think those are both excellent ideas, um, but I think the uh, you'll have a whiny baby on whiny baby team eventually come around and ruin it like Detroit. Uh, but yeah, no, it's man, it's 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 it's, it's boggling, mind boggling how uh, you know we have a league that's. <laughs> That can't keep anything good. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> Except, yeah, haven't hadn't changed the All Star Game format in, since 2015. But they changed the draft lottery every six years. Yeah, 
to make it worse. Uh, yeah. Well, insane. they made it better with the last one. That was a That's it was true. so good. It was so, it was the best thing they did. It was such a fun event. Such a ratings draw. Now nobody fucking talks about it. <laughs> yeah, now no one gives a no one gives a shit. Remember, you know, everything. You know, the last draft lottery that they did in the old format was Team E. Remember that when Team E won the lottery? Yeah. Remember all that stuff? That was lots of fun. That was great. That was two so rounds, two rounds of lottery. Man. Best and then outcome. when we were watching the plane round of the playoffs, we were like, you know, any team who lose, you have a one and eight shot at Lafreniere. That was that was some real intrigue. That was fun. Yeah, it was hella spicy. And now nobody gives a rat's ass because even if yeah. you know, <laughs> if the Sharks win the no, not the Sharks, but if the Jets win the lottery with their one and a half percent odds, they get the fourth pick. No hell, Yay. you know, like Matthew oh, Savoy. Jesus. The worst part is if you have the worst team, and I, you know we we get that it's extremely unlikely. But even if they, by some miracle of statistics, they win that that lottery, Vegas slash Buffalo, they only get the sixth overall pick. That's like that's that's resoundingly mediocre. And uh, you you know I don't think historically there's been a big jump between sixteen and six in terms of caliber pick, anyways. So you know, boo, boo. We hate this. You know, this is bad. It, before 2016, it was worse. Or at least in 2011, it was worse. Because in 2011, uh, the Devils uh, had the 8th best odds. And they won the lottery. And that moved them up from 8th to 4th, where they drafted Adam Larson. That was, literally, <laughs> that, that was how it worked. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. We haven't we haven't gone too far back in time. We haven't regressed too much, thankfully. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So there's been worse. but uh, But we got that taste of the perfect stuff. Of the good stuff. So it just hurts that much more when they fucking go with this stupidity. Yeah, but you know, there is a chance with with this new system that the lottery winners are like, you know, if it say it's Columbus and Winnipeg or something, and Montreal holds on to the top pick. That's pretty anticlimactic for like, you know, the team with the top pick to have not won a lottery to get there. Yeah, absolutely. You didn't you didn't hold a lottery for the top pick. You held a lottery for picks two and four. Boring ass yeah. league. <laughs> uh anyways so yeah we said it would be fun yeah if they did the lottery in like in reverse order so it was like although the best teams who are closest to the playoffs had like super high odds but then they draw for the 16th pick first and it was like no not me not me please and then they just count backwards <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know you know it just it would have so much more entertainment value you know like honestly, it's, it's, it's the way hard back. to watch. Man, it would you know, it's just it's a whole like sit down, bring some popcorn. The NHL does not have market itself. That's the problem here. That's the real problem at hand. They don't know how to make it fun. God. This is what else is new? Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I just gotta shout out Tankathon, the site, because I mm-hmm. particularly like that, you know, like they have like the last ten games of the season and they have the record. Uh, and if you win a bunch, like, and they color coded it too, you know, like green, black, and red. But if you win more games, it comes in red. You know what I mean? So they're really, so, like the the team, like the Habs, who ended two eight and zero, their record is very green because they did a good thing. But the Ottawa Senators, who won seven of their last ten, and and providing their fan base with much hope, uh, their last ten record <laughs> is color coded red. Because you suck at tanking, and I respect that. Yeah, 
Good I enough. like it too. I think that like the website just lives in a perpetual alternate reality where losing is good and winning is bad because yep. they're just we're all about the draft lottery. <laughs> exactly, and they it's it's a good commitment to the bit. Uh, yeah. yeah. Let me let me. You know what? Have we have we done a sim? We haven't done a sim. Let me sim it right now. See what yeah, kind of, sim, see what what your sim is. My my sim is I have Detroit and Chicago. So Detroit with a all big right. leap. All right. My sim, I'm gonna do one now too. New Jersey and Ottawa. All right. Those are two Fresh. distinct possibilities that might happen on are. Tuesday. You never and know. you know what? None of them I I wouldn't mind either one of those that bad because at least it's two teams leaping up into the top two spots. All right, that's all we want here. Give us some leaping action. Or not leaping, just two teams winning the top two spots, honestly. I just don't want any of those like, oh, I leaped up to fourth. None of that stuff. <laughs> I will be extremely upset if the Islanders win the lottery. Not because yeah, of the Islanders, but because it will be a terrible outcome where they get the third pick. Or And partly because it's the Islanders, honestly. Who wants them to win the lottery? That too. It'll be a miserable combination. Uh, so. <laughs> any of those teams. I don't want... I don't want the Blue Jack Islanders, Jets, Canucks. Like, what's fun about any of them leaping? Or Vegas? Especially, well, Vegas, maybe, except it would only be the sixth. And you're like, oh, who cares? The sixth pick. Yeah. So now we've gone from extreme intrigue. You know, the the, the early ones are always the best when they did the reveal. Because it was like, oh, shit. Uh, small odds, but let's see. You know, and when, when somebody did leap, it was a big deal. But yeah. now nobody want, nobody cares. You're right. All these teams stink. Nobody cares about these teams. And also, the results are extremely underwhelming uh, in terms of the reward. So... Yeah, yeah, that's such a good point. Like, before it was like, oh, it'd be so cool if one of these teams with low odds leaped to the top three. And I was like, oh, I hope one of these teams with low odds doesn't leap to the top six, you know? Exactly. So they've been, they've made it worse. They've made it more boring. Now I'm cheering for... Now I'm cheering for the wholly mediocrely bad teams. Like, the yeah. most exciting it gets is, like, fucking Anaheim wins. And, like, <laughs> San or Jose or Buffalo. Or Buffalo. Buffalo wins for, like, the third time in five years. So I'm cheering for Buffalo to win the lottery. Um, we're really in a hellscape uh, of, the, um, of the NHL draft lottery. I don't even know. Honestly, looking at these teams, like I don't really, I don't really, I don't want the Devils to win the topic again. You know, the Kraken when it's like, okay, who cares? The Kraken are so stunningly boring this year. Same story with the Flyers. You know, Detroit wines. Buffalo wins all the time. Anaheim would be would be fun, I think. You know, they got Zegris and stuff there. That'd be a that'd be a fun time. Maybe if Shane Wright joined the party. Yeah, the problem is right now, the teams that can leap to the first or second pick, none of them are interesting, really, as a narrative. Unless like, you know, Ottawa is cool because, you know, they've got a nice vibe in the locker room that we've talked about. I think Ottawa's at- cool. And actually I think Montreal is pretty cool too. Fair. Um yeah. You know, with Caulfield and Suzuki and stuff. Shane Wright right. would be a cool fit. Yeah, exactly, and and like within within the other teams, you know, maybe Vancouver's cool, but then the problem is they can't, they they can only get to the fifth pick or the fourth pick, yep. fifth pick, so just straight disaster. Ah, we've almost been half the time on the draft lottery as we did on the playoffs. <laughs> That's just how hype we can make the draft lottery. Just how invested yeah. we are in these numbers. Woo. You love to see it. Mm-hmm. All right, the Joachim Kamel sweepstakes. <laughs> is that who's that? Like the sixth prospect around? Who the, who the, uh, Tankathon has a number six. Okay, so who the who the Canucks might draft if they win the draft lottery? Yeah, I'd love to see it. All right, another fun name that's probably going to go high is Cutter Gautier. His first name is Cutter. Cutter. <laughs> Spell Cutter. Spell C U T T E R. Oh, interesting. All right, 
there there were many ways that could have gone. You know, like cut her like the country, cut her like I'm the person oh. who cuts. Yeah, well, interesting name. First two cuts. Yeah, there we go. Oh, uh, one more, one more fun name. Day. Yeah, one more fun name from this draft. Who's I don't know, late first maybe, early second. Luca Del Bel Beluz. <laughs> Ooh, that's that's a good one. It was that four names, and yep. like two of them start with Bell. Good stuff. Uh, good stuff. Yeah, I thought I thought you were gonna. I th- there were a couple ways I thought you were gonna go. I thought you might go, Rudger McGrory. That's a, that's a common punching bag, uh, or uh, or even Jagger Furcus, because his uh, name is yep, Jagger. Yeah. So or Gleb, somebody named Gleb. That's a fun name. Gleb Trukazov. Good stuff. Yep, we're getting familiar with these names just by saying them. Is, You're welcome, is Owen, everyone. Is Owen Beck related to... Oh, fuck me. I thought... I was about to ask, is Owen Beck related to Beck Warm? But then I realized that's an extremely <laughs> moronic question. <laughs> no, no, he's just related to Owen Power, actually. <laughs> right. Yeah, my bad. My oversight. I should have I remembered. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So that's our, that's our deep dive into the prospects that you get today. Uh, all up in Luca Del Bell Beluz's business today here on. All Fusion. right. Well, I, I guess that's the end of the episode then. It is. Thanks for listening, everyone. Next week, round one will be done. Pretty sure round two will be getting underway. So it'll be a, a pivotal time for the playoffs. And we'll talk about it all um, because of that. And because we'll probably be doing like round two predictions and stuff. You can probably count on guess who returning the week after that, I would say. I would imagine. Thanks for listening. Instagram, Fusion and Hockey Podcast. Twitter, at Alex's new handle, at Taisei Fu, etc. The end.